Man, feels like we've been in this car for weeks. Yeah, it looks like your hoodie even changed colors. Yeah, it sure did, eh? So, um, earlier you were excited for today. Yeah, what I that? was. What are you excited about? So, there was, there was this girl. Uh, I've been texting her okay. and everything, but she hasn't been replying. But today, huh. before I left, I texted her asking if she was hungry. And she responded, no. And I took that as like you know I think she's like you know starts to like me and she like How? I think she she said no. Yeah, but I thought that maybe she wanted to go out and hang out. Like, listen, Jimmy, listen. There's this really good spiritual book I'm gonna recommend to you. Yeah, what's it called? It's called She's Just Not That Into You. Should, should I get the point? Yes. Yeah, um, probably. All right. I I guess I think I should move on. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> not again, not again. What is it now? My sacrifice light turned on. This is unbelievable. This day can't get any worse. Ah, oh, man, what are we gonna do? <laughs> stupid, stupid, stupid car. Can't do anything right. Lights keep turning on. This is like the worst day. Hey, are you having some car trouble? Yeah, my, my sacrifice light turned on. It's been a really rough day. I don't know what to do. We're on the way to the mechanic, and I ran out of money, and I, I don't know what to do. Can I mean, I was gonna go hang out with some friends. Wait, you have some friends? You know what? Go look with your car's trouble. No, 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 I was kidding, I was kidding, I was kidding, I was kidding, I need your help, I need your help. Can you, like, sacrifice your time for me, please? I mean, I am pretty good with cars. Oh, wow, okay, cool. And I guess I have, I, I could help you out financially, too. Oh. That's, that's really nice of you. I really appreciate that. You can come join us. I got a couple friends. We're all on the way to the mechanic. Let me get the door for you. Yeah, that's, really, that's awesome. You're the best. Hey guys, look who I found. She's going to sacrifice her time and her money to help get our car fixed. Isn't that nice of her? Yeah. This is my friend Community. He's been with me the whole time. The whole time. This is my friend Worship. She's been singing the whole time and she won't stop. And this is my friend Growth. She's been having all the answers today. That's right. Yeah. Oh, man. This is cool. This is like one big happy family together. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is too good to be true. What happened? My sacrifice light turned off wow. right when you came in the car. No way. Wow. This is one big coincidence. I can't believe this. This is amazing. This day is going to be even more better than I thought. Okay. But, hey. You think you can still come with us in mechanics to make sure everything gets fixed? Yeah, sure, why not? Thanks, it's cool. I appreciate it. All right, well, good morning. Good morning. Hello? Ma? Ma? Can we? Good morning, everybody. We're so happy that you have decided to join us today. And let me once again say a, 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 another welcome to those who are joining us either from, I know we have a group from New Jersey, a group from Long Island, New York visiting us, or maybe you're just visiting us from right down the street. We're so happy that you're here today. Welcome to The Well. And what we say about The Well every Sunday is we are an ordinary place where people meet Jesus and hopefully extraordinary things happen. So that's my prayer for each and every single person here today is that you would meet him and then something extraordinary would happen in your life. If you're just joining us here today, you're coming at the tail end. We got two more weeks left in this series called The Body Shop. 
And what we've been doing for the past several weeks, and we'll be continue today and, and next week, is looking at what it means to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. And what we agreed in the very, very beginning, those who have been here with me a little, just by way of review here, we agreed that the number one primary definition of me and you, like the number one identity that we have, the greatest thing that we can say we're part of, not that I'm my father's son, not that uh, who my wife and my kids are, not what my job is, not my education, but the greatest thing that I can say is that I am a member of the body of Christ. Because we agree that the body of Christ, we learned a big word, which is theanthropic. We said the body of Christ is a theanthropic organism, which combines two words, Theos, which means God, and Anthropos, which means man. So what it means is that the church is not an organization. The church, the church is an organism. It's not a human organism. It is a divine organism in human form. Because we believe that here in the church, don't ask me to explain it because I can't explain it. We believe that we as the church, we are the body of Christ. And we, as we saw here in this verse, which has been carrying us through this, Ephesians 1.22, that he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, which is the fullness of him who fills all in all. We believe that in our gathering here, that who we are, that when we are baptized into the church, that we, the church, contain the fullness of him who fills all in all. Like him who cannot be contained in heaven on earth is contained somehow mystically inside the church. And who's the church? I'm the church, me and you. That's why, just like many things in our church, we don't try to explain how did God, like I said, theanthropic, God in human form. That's who Jesus is. Okay, Jesus is God, the Word, take flesh. We don't try to explain how that happened. We don't know how God could be a little baby. We don't know. And in the same way, we don't understand how God can be a little baby. We don't understand how a group, a collection, forgive me, don't take this personally, a collection of misfits like we are, from one from this corner of the world and one from there. One with this weakness and one with that weakness. One selfish this, one proud this. And all kinds of misfits were the land of misfit toys. But when you put us together and you put us in Christ, then all of a sudden it's something divine. We are the body of Christ. And we agreed that you cannot separate the head from the body. So if we believe that Jesus is alive, we believe his body is alive. And we are that body of Christ on this earth. The other thing that we talked about is the value of the church is determined by the price paid for it. We talked in the very beginning how I said the church is my salvation. And I didn't say the church leads me to salvation. I said the church is my salvation. And the reason I said that is because a verse in the book of Acts, which I didn't put up on the screen, that talks about how he purchased the church with his blood. It talks about the church which he purchased with his blood. And if I tell you Jesus purchased something with his blood... Okay, then you would say that's salvation. He purchased my salvation with his blood. And that's what the church is. The church is my salvation. So this series, what we're doing is we are looking at what does it mean to be a healthy member of that church? And what we're doing is kind of like when you go to the doctor. When you go to the doctor, the first thing that they do, sorry, I have a little microphone thing here. It just stopped off my ear. When you go to the doctor, the first thing that they do is what? They take your vital signs, Right? They go in there and you say, my back this, my head this. First thing you do, we've got to check your vital signs. And they make sure that your pulse, your heart, you know, whatever the vital signs are. We're doing the same thing right here. And the five vital signs of what does it mean to be a healthy member of the body of Christ. And the assumption that we're making is that a picture of a healthy member of the body of Christ can be seen where? 
I need to compare, like, I need to take my temperature and compare it to the standard, 98.6. I need to take my blood pressure and compare it to the standard of, you know, 400 over 600, whatever the numbers are, which I don't understand, okay? You have to have a standard that you compare it to. What is our standard of a healthy member of the body of Christ? We're going back to the book of Acts chapter 2. And we are seeing those guys in the book of Acts, the Peter, the James, the Johns, those guys and their disciples. How did their life look like in the body of Christ? And we're comparing ourselves to them. And we've seen that there are five vital signs to be a healthy member of the body. Help me out here by way of review. The first sign, okay, and we see them every week jumping in the car, okay, with Joe, all right? Every week we're seeing a different one. The first week we saw that the first characteristic to be a member, a healthy member of the body of Christ, I had to have a life of community. And you see it up there on the screen. It's the little, the little things that you see up there. It's community, which means that it's not solo. It's not living on your own. It's not isolated. It's not, I come to church and I pray and I leave and I don't care about anybody else. Very clear, book of Acts, they shared life together. And we talked about sharing life means investing in one another and opening up so others can invest in me. If I don't have that, something ain't right. Number two characteristic is worship. All right, and we saw that when they were involved in each other's lives and invested, it was not just a socializing way, but in a prayer way. And we saw that when the early church got together and prayed, and in the form of liturgy, okay, a group of people praying together, we saw miracles happen. We saw amazing things happen because God promised that he'd be in their midst. Last week, we saw our third characteristic of a healthy member of the body of Christ, which is what? Is growth, okay, or, or maturity. Means that our goal is not just to enter the church, and grow old, but our, our goal is to enter and grow up to maturity. And we agreed that you cannot be a mature Christian outside the body of Christ. And you say, hey, wait a minute, I pray and I read my Bible. Hey, look, the things that make us, that bring us down in our spiritual life are not those things. What brings us down? We talked about three things last week that you cannot fix unless you're inside a, a community when you have invested in that community. We talked about pride, we talked about selfishness, and we talked about unforgiveness or bitterness. And I'm saying if you decide to isolate yourself, you'll be selfish the rest of your life, you'll be proud the rest of your life, and you struggle to forgive people in isolation, and that's not what God wants. Today we're moving to the fourth characteristic. And I'm going to tell you this right up front about the fourth characteristic. Of the five characteristics, the one that we speak about the least is today's topic. And in addition, if we're honest, like we're going to remove all the stuff in our head that we, that we may come into this thinking. If we're honest and we just look and take a snapshot and compare two snapshots, early church, Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5, to where we are today, the greatest discrepancy is in this area. And if you don't believe me, look at these passages right here from Acts 2 and Acts 4. Acts 2. Tell me what stands out to you that's so different than the way we live today. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Okay, we kind of do that, all right? But maybe not as much as they do, but we kind of do that. And the breaking of bread and in prayers. Okay, we do that. Again, maybe not the same way, but we, we do that. And then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Maybe not to the degree, but again, okay, there's some things working over there. That's good. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. That section in red, that doesn't happen today. And just, so you, just in case you think, well, that's just like a one-time thing just happened in the beginning, two chapters later. That's Acts 2.42. 
Go to Acts 4.32, okay? It's the same kind of parallel. Acts 2.42 and Acts 4.32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Look at it. Compare where we are today to this. And great power, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked... For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the, of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. What we are going to talk about today, ladies and gentlemen, is the fourth characteristic, which is sacrificing. And oftentimes, I'll use, like I'll use these two terms interchangeably. I'll use giving and sacrificing. But I really want to stress the sacrificing because I don't want anyone to think that giving means just throw a tip in the donation box when it goes around. And I just throw, like even, even the, the waiter, okay, gets, gets 15%, okay? But sometimes the donation in the church, it's just uh, a good luck kind of a thing. We think, okay, we fulfilled this, we're giving. But if you look at the early church, these guys, it is very clear that they lived a very sacrificial life. And things which we hold on to very tightly, our possessions, our houses, our lands, our money, things that we hold on to very, very tightly, they let go of very easily. And the end result of it, look here in this passage, you have a beginning, you have an end, and in the middle, you have two sentences that don't seem to fit. In the beginning, you talk about how people were giving their stuff, had all things in common. At the end, you hear about how they sold their stuff and brought the proceeds to the apostles' feet. And what are the two sentences in the middle? And with great power, they gave witness, and great grace was upon them all. Two things that don't seem to fit. When we say, where's the power of the early church? Where's the grace of the early church? I tell you that it is buried in the life of sacrificing of the early church. And if you don't want the sacrificing, you will never find the grace or the power. And we're going to see that here today. Let's imagine hypothetically, now that I gave my little intro, let's imagine hypothetically that we live in a place called Neverland, in La La Land, somewhere on the moon, where this actually took place. That can you imagine this actually taking place? Someone sells their house, and what do they do with that money? They bring it to the feet of the church, like the apostles representing the church, and they bring it here to the church, and they say, here, Father Anthony, here's $400,000. Distribute it as you see fit. Can you imagine somebody sell a car and say, hey, I made out great. I, I, I really gypped this guy like I pulled a fast one on him. And I just sold this car, this used car for $10,000. And the first thing I want to do with it is give it to the church in case anyone has needs. You would say this is, this is crazy. This does not exist. Like spiritual people, like I'm a spiritual person. I don't do that. And I'm not telling you to do that. But I'm telling you that's what they did. I'm not telling you to do it, and I'm going to tell you I do it. But I'm telling you that's what they did. So at a minimum, we need to open our minds and say, okay, and let me just preface this by saying I'm not telling anyone to do what I just said, okay? I'm not telling anyone that that's what's required of you, not in a million years. I'm not saying that. But I just want you to stretch your mind out a little bit here and say, hey, wait a minute. Maybe I need to, to rethink my life of sacrificing, my life of giving. I tell you, they took everything they had, they took their paycheck, they laid it at the feet of the apostles, distributed among anyone as they had need. Would you do that for the rest of the church right here? Would anybody do that? No. But let's say I change the story. Let's say I say they sold their houses, I sold my house, 
And I took all that money, or let's say not me, let's say you took all that money and you laid it at the feet of your father. And you gave it to your father and mother, your parents, to distribute among the family members. Does that fit a little bit better? Let's say I sell my car and I bring my wife and my kids and I bring it in front of them and I say, okay, here's all the money from the car and we distribute as need for the house. Oh, we need to pay this bill or we need to whatever. I allow my family to help me distribute. Does that make a little more sense? Does that fit? Like would anyone have a problem? Like if my, let's, let's flip it to the negative way, okay? If my wife sold her car and said, no, why, uh, husband, it has nothing to do with you. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Just to show you how far we've gone from our understanding of what the church is. I said if this was a family and the family and you brought the money to the head of the family and the head of the family distributed as each one had need, you would say that's no problem. And you see how the early church really, like the understanding, again, I'm not saying to do this, but I just want you to see how our understanding of the church as a club or as a group of friends is not at all what is envisioned for the church. The church is a family. And the apostles were seen as the fathers of the family. So you have no problem to envision that the wife sells the, 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 the car, the money goes to the father, not to the father, but the father distributes, say, okay, good. We have to pay for our kids' college. That's where this money's gonna go. Or we have to pay the electricity bills. So that's where this money go. Or, you know, we owe uh, this much to the banks. So that's where this money goes. This is the concept that the church had and the true understanding of what it means to be in the church. And our family is important. But this church, we need to realize, is a family. And I don't want to say this because it sounds bad, but it's true. What's more important, your earthly family or your spiritual family? One of them, you'll see for a few more years, then you may never see them again. One of them you're going to spend eternity with. Your spiritual family, and that's not against your earthly family, okay? Because hopefully they're part of the same family. But I'm saying you may have problems in your earthly family. But the spiritual family, that's the one that's going to last for life. Just show you what St. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. An understanding, a church understanding of what does it mean to be in the body of Christ. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And as many as you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female. All are one in Christ. We talked about this before. I'm not going to go into this. I just want you to see this. That all of us here, whether you like me or don't like me, we're brothers and we're sisters. We are. We are one in Christ. There is no such thing as you're from New York, I'm from New Jersey, I'm from Virginia, you're from Maryland. There's none of that stuff. There's none of that stuff that you're rich or I'm poor. There's none of that stuff. There's none of that stuff I'm in this group and you're in that. That stuff does not exist. We are one family. And the early church had the understanding that if the family, you, when, you, when you had finances, you brought it to the head of the family and he distributed as each one needs. Now, with that said, I already told you that's not what I want you to do. I wouldn't object if you did that, but that's really not what I want you to do. I wouldn't want the responsibility that someone brings me $300,000. I don't want that, okay? But I want us to take a step back and look at the life of giving and sacrificing, which I'll kind of use them interchangeably here, and understand what am, I, where, what am I supposed to be doing in this area as far as my giving, and I'm talking about finances. And the giving doesn't apply just to finances, but I feel like we need to talk about the finances because we often shy away from it. And I am so excited to say what I'm about to say right now. And I couldn't wait to say what I'm about to say before I talk about finances. I have to tell you this. You know what gives me great confidence today or feeling today? That I am going to speak right now about giving and finances. I am 100% speaking not from any need or lack. 
and I can say that with confidence. I am not anyway, and actually it's good that a lot of people here are not even from this church. I'm speaking about the principle of giving, not from a position which we so oftentimes, we, we get kind of cynical because we think that when someone's saying that you need to give is because they need money. And I'm telling you right, how, right now, that my, the, the board is going to kill me from about six, okay? This church, I'm not asking for money for this church. Again, if you give, no one will object. We're very happy that you give. But I'm not here asking for money. I'm not, like, honestly, thanks be to God, this church has never lacked financially in one way. We have very, very, very smart people who are very, very good with the money, and they handle it very great. We have the best finance team in the world. I'm telling you, for me, this church has taken care of me from the day I started. I just got a raise in January. Like, I'm living the good life right now, okay? So in no way is anything I am saying have anything to do with a need that exists in the church. I'm saying that from the bottom of my heart. And that's why, like I said, I'm glad that some of you aren't even from here. Because what I'm saying, I'm saying to you in your own church and to those who are members of this church, why giving is important for you, not for the church. But giving is important for you. Look at this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm a competitive person. And if you're competitive, this verse should light a fire inside you. Because what St. Paul is saying, he's saying you want to be above average in love. Yes. You want to be above average in prayer. Yes. You want to be above average in speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and devotion to God. Yes. Well, try to be above average in giving as well. Try to be the best giver in your life group. Try to be the most generous person in your church. And try for your church to be a, a fountain of generosity. We need to excel in every virtue, and giving is no different than any one of the other ones. So what I'm talking about here today, I'm talking about why we should give, is the outline of the day. Why it's important that we give, again, for your sake, not for the church's sake. And it's important for me to give for my sake, not for anything else. Why? We talk about what happens when we give, like what do we receive from that? And then thirdly, we'll talk practically how does that apply and translate to our day-to-day -day life? First, why it is that we should give? What is giving? Number one, first and foremost, more than anything else, giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. The expression is that you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. You heard that before? You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And I bet you, if you examine the relationships in your life, which you feel the closest to, like the people whom you love the most, they probably cost you the most financially as well. <laughs> Would you agree with that statement? The people that you love the most, there is the greatest cost financially because you cannot love without giving. That's why God at his core, you open up God's heart and what comes out is love. And how much did God love the world? Most famous verse in all of Christianity. God so loved the world that he gave. And what did he give? A nickel, a dime. He gave what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the most precious thing to him. You cannot love without sacrificial giving. You cannot. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Because what giving is, is a natural outpouring of the, of the love inside you. That's why when God commanded us, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. 
Forgive me for what I'm about to say. I don't know how you can say you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, but not with all your wallet. I don't understand that. I don't understand how you can say you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but you don't love him with all your wallet. And if your wallet isn't invested in God, then you yourself are not invested in God. From the beginning, I say worship, I say giving is an act of worship. Go to the very, very, very beginning. Go back to the Old Testament. And the people knew that God told them, the way you worship me is a system of sacrifices. And go to the Old Testament, which we won't do up here, but you go to the Old Testament, you see page after page after page of detail after detail after detail of painful level of minutia of detail of the sacrificial system. And this was how you worship God. You bring this. And if you can't afford this, you bring this. And if you can't do that, you bring this. And this is how you offer it. This is when you offer it. And this is why you offer it. And God made it very clear this verse sums it up here in Exodus 34, 20, that none shall appear before me empty-handed. When you come to worship God, you do not come empty-handed. You come with a sacrifice in your hand. Okay, that was Old Testament. How about New Testament? Is giving an important concept in the New Testament? Watch this. In the New Testament, would you agree with me that believing is an important principle in Christianity? It's important to believe in God. It's important to believe, right? The word believe in the New Testament. 272 times. Prayer, that's an important word as well. How many times in the New Testament? 371 times. Most important word in all Christianity is love. Love, how many times? 714. So believe 272, pray 371, love 714. Give 2,161. Don't tell me giving is important. You put all the love, all the pray, all the believe, add them all up, and it still doesn't equal the amount of times that the New Testament uses the word give. But God cares about the heart, right? God doesn't care about money. God doesn't care about money. God cares about the heart, right? Well, Jesus said it this way. In Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, meaning where your wallet is, there your heart will be also. Now again, I am not asking in any way, anything in particular about a need or anything like that. I already made that clear, and I'm trying to repeat that just in case you, you missed that. Because I know the easy thing to do is to sit there cynical, selfish, because you don't want to give up what's in your wallet, and to say cynically, well, they just mismanaged their money. And that's your way of being selfish and cynical. And it's easy to sit there and say, well, he's only saying it for this. And I'm telling you right now, I already said, don't give the money to me. But you cannot tell me that you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and not with your wallet. You cannot tell me that where your treasure is, your heart is not also. I'm saying this out of love for you more than anything else. What we need to do is revive a biblical view of giving. Not a televangelist view of giving. Not a cheapskate view of, of giving. Not a my parents, what they taught me, get rid of all those views of giving. I need a biblical view of how giving is an act of worship. Those who have attended the divine liturgy before, what do we say in the divine liturgy? We say it two times. It's a part where we are at the beginning where we're offering the bread and wine, and the deacon stands and says, pray for these holy and precious gifts. Our sacrifices and those who brought them. This is the time we are presenting the bread and the wine, a.k.a. the gifts. And we are saying, pray for these gifts. And we're also saying, pray for these sacrifices. What's the sacrifices? What's the sacrifice? Ain't no one bringing a lamb or a pigeon or a goat 
What's the sacrifices? Is when you walk in that door and you see that money box right there. And people used to walk in and put money in the money. I know now we do it online. Okay, but that's... And people put money in there. And that was a sacrifice. And they said, pray for the people who are offering the gifts. But pray for the people who are bringing the sacrifices as well. Well, I'm telling you, has this become... Is this a part of our liturgy that we should scratch because we're not doing it? Or is this the part where our behavior needs to match our prayer? Psalm 96, verse 7 and 9. King David says this, Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. He's saying, give God glory and honor. This is what we say we come to do in church. We come to praise God, give him glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name. But notice how he makes it practical. And how do you know you're doing A if you do B? Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Today, what I want to talk about now, like I said, why we give is an act of worship. Well, I want to shift gears now. Talk about what happens when we give. Because you know what I noticed? I noticed the reason why a lot of us are averse to giving. If I give you a sermon on prayer, a piece of it's going to be, if you pray, this will happen. If I give you a sermon on fasting, if you fast, this will happen to you. Like fast, and it'll, it'll bring you closer to God. Pray, and God will speak to you. Read your Bible, and you'll have guidance. We talk about if this, then this. So how when it comes to giving, it's just give because it's the right thing to do, and nothing good's going to happen to you in your life. Just give because you have to give. Well, I want to tell you, I want to do the opposite. I want to say, this is why you should give. I told you it's an act of worship, but let's say you're still not convinced. I want to tell you, if you give, three things that will happen to you if you give, and these three things will not happen to you if you don't give. The first thing that giving does. Giving disarms my materialism. Giving disarms or combats or destroys my materialism. Now, easy thing for you to say is I'm not a materialistic person. I'm not a materialistic person. She's a materialistic person. Just look at her shoes. <laughs> He's a materialistic guy. Spends half the day in front of the mirror. Okay? I'm not a materialistic person. Well, let me prove to you that all of us, all of us, me, myself, first and foremost, have a disease inside of us called materialism. The world in which we live feeds us materialism, buy more to be more happy, and it's part of our sinful human nature. I'll prove it to you. Let's say tomorrow you go to work and you find out you just got a $1,000 bonus. What are you going to do with that $1,000? Every single one of us, whether we admit it, oh, that's perfect because I need a new phone. Oh, that's perfect, because I need to fix this thing in my house. Oh, that's perfect, I need to pay down this debt. How many people, we won't do a show of hands, will say, oh, that's great. That's more I can give. Even if I'm not going to give the full thousand, how many people say, that's great. Now I can be more generous. Now I can give more to the church. Even if I, even if I, if I don't want anything from the church, now I can help that person in need. How many of us, if I say, I give you more, you say, this is the greatest opportunity to give more. The answer, none of us. None of us think that way because we all have materialism. And as soon as I say you get more, perfect. New shoes, new jacket, new car, new phone, new laptop, new something or other to make me more happy. God gave me this gift to spend it on me. That's our theology. Our theology is that if I have little, I can have this. If I have more, I can have more. And somehow giving is sort of over there in the corner. And it's just kind of this, yeah, 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 you got to throw something in there so that like, God doesn't curse you or something like that. But none of us have the, the non-materialistic mentality that says, you know what? We want to give more. And God, like how many of us, like, let's be honest, God, give me more income so I can be more generous. None of us pray that way. 
culture tells us, and it's inside all of us, that you have more, you'll be more happy. It's in all of us. Don't fight it. It's inside you. Admit the truth. Don't try to resist the truth. Try to combat it and try to realize that there's something inside me which is materialism, and the only way to combat it is giving, forcing myself to give, and pushing myself to give even when I don't want to give, because that's the only way to be a non-materialistic person. How many people, like we've heard it so many times, it's become cliche. The mission trip goes to Africa, or go serve the homeless, or go to the poorest places in India, and see the kids who have nothing, and they live in a little room this size, and they're the poorest people in the world. And we have so much, and what does every single person who comes back from Africa says the same thing. They have so little materialistically, but they are so much more happy than we are. Every person says it. First person, you ignore him. He's an idiot. He didn't know what he's talking about. Second guy, he's a selfish jerk. But every single person says it. They have so little, but they're so much happier than we are. You know what I honestly believe? That statement says a lot more about us than it says about them. The statement that they have nothing, yet they're so happy, says more about them than it, I'm sorry, says more about us than it says about them. The truth is, getting more does not make you more happy. Getting more does not make you more happy, and our lives prove that. If getting more made you happy, we would be the happiest nation in the world. We'd be the happiest people. And we would, actually, we're going to be doing an event after Easter. Okay, there's a documentary called Happy. I don't know if anyone saw it. Okay, we're going to be doing a showing of that here after Easter because it's the principle that so many of us have been fed, which is that if I have more, I'll be more happy. And it's simply, it ain't true. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Just yesterday. Again, who was here yesterday at the Living Love Your City event? How many people were here? Okay, very good. Put your hands up. Yesterday we had a great day. For those who weren't here, we did this event called Love Your City. It was the first time we ever did it, but we're definitely going to do it again. Well, we said one of our core values is that we have genuine love for the community. We're not preaching to the community. We just want to love the community because we feel like that's who Jesus was. He was love more than anything else. So we said yesterday, we're just going to love the D.C. metropolitan area. And we gathered here together. There's a group of us. There's probably 100 people here. And we divvied up into different groups. So one group, my group, served the homeless down uh, in D.C. Another group went to um, a domestic violence uh, shelter. Another group went to this place for children who are abused. And we just divvied up in a million different places and just love, 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 love the area. My group, we were like a family group. So we were going to the homeless, and we brought our, it was like my life group, it was a couple life groups together, and some other people, and we were bringing our children. So we were upstairs, and we were like making sandwiches, and the kids were all, uh, you know what I'm saying, and the kids were making sandwiches, and lettuce is flying, and stuff's all over the place. So we took the kids, okay, after they had made the sandwiches, we took them down to a room, all right? And we just basically wanted to get them like someplace contained, all right? Just kind of keep them away from the, the, the sandwich making process. So I said, okay, let's have a discussion. So I started asking them questions. One of the questions I asked them is like, how do you feel about this and giving and all this kind of stuff? Really, he was just trying to keep them busy, okay? But one of the kids said this, and I told him when he said this, I said, I'm going to say this tomorrow in front of all the big people, okay? And you go ask your parents when you go home if I said it. He was talking about how, like the, the theme was about how giving makes us more happy than receiving. And when you hear a nine-year-old child or, or nine, eight, something like that, 10 maybe, something like that, okay? When you hear a 10-year-old child say the following, he says, you know, 
I forgot what I've gotten for Christmas. I forgot what I got for my birthday, but I'll never forget this. That's one of our kids said. Now the next kid screamed out, I need to go poo-poo. Okay, so <laughs> just so you don't think that it was all like, okay. Let's be honest. Do you remember what you got for your birthday in five years ago? Do you remember the do we remember the gifts that we receive? Or do we remember the gifts that we give? And this little child hit on something inside each one of us that while it is fun to receive, man, those things we receive, that's just junk. They just pile up in the attic. But the things that we give, and those are the stuff that sticks with us. Giving fights materialism. Second thing about giving. Giving is an investment for eternity. Giving is an investment for eternity. I know amongst our group right here, it's very clear, very distinguished, very intelligent, very wise investors. Y'all invest in the stock market and in the mutual funds and in the 401ks and the stuff like that. And you, because you're a wise investor, before you put a dollar over here, you make sure that's going to give me a dollar ten, right? Nobody just throws around money, say, here's money, do whatever you want with it. If I give you a dollar, I'm expecting a dollar ten. And the one who's smart gets a dollar twelve or a dollar thirteen, a dollar fourteen. You are smart with how you invest your money. I'm telling you, don't be spiritual. Be logical. Be a wise investor. What is the best way to invest the money that is in your wallet? I will tell you that the best way to invest it is to get eternal rewards. And that's what happens when you give to the body of Christ or to those members of the body of Christ. 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is actually the continuation of the verse that we just read. It says, let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Watch this. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You know how much the Bible says is the interest rate in heaven? The Bible gives an interest rate. What's the best? All right, who, who got the best investment? Who has an investment? What's the best rate you get? 5%, 6%. Who got something? 10%, 20%, 30%. Anyone got an investment to pay 50%? I give you a dollar, you give me 50 cents on that dollar. So I invest $100, and by the end of the year, I got $150. Anyone have an investment 50%, 100%? You know what the kingdom of heaven pays? You know what the kingdom of heaven pays? That is a hundredfold. You know what a hundredfold means? Not a hundred percent. Not a hundred percent. A hundred percent means I give you a dollar, you give me a dollar. That's a very good investment. This is 10,000%. This is I give you one, you give me a hundred. Imagine that. I give you a dollar. At the end of the year, you give me a hundred dollars. That's what a hundredfold means. Anyone got a better rate? You got a dollar in your pocket. You just got a $500 bonus from, from your work. You can invest that in a car. It's going to go down. You can invest that in, in a phone. Invest that in shoes. Invest that in an investment, 10%, 20%. Invest that in the kingdom. I'm telling you, you'd be a fool not to invest in eternity. Best way to invest your money is in something that will outlast you. And I'm telling you, now I'm speaking specifically about this church, but it applies to whatever church you're from, but I can only speak about this church. 
when you invest in this church and when you give to this church, you are not just giving to a building. You're not just giving to a person. You are giving to a mission. And the mission of this church, for those who don't know, our mission statement is this. We exist to transform lives in the D.C. metro area through an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ founded upon the life and teachings of the Orthodox faith. And when you invest, when you put money in that money box back there, you invest in this mission. You invest, and if this church is doing something good, and this church has a mission which is bigger even than I want to say than the D.C. metropolitan area. The goal of this church is to transform lives in this area, but then we even have a bigger goal that I should feel like I should be honest and convey to you. Our goal, one of my goals personally, is that we would show people the beauty of the Orthodox faith, the Orthodox Christian life, and we would show the people that beauty unencumbered with a lot of the stuff that makes people think that it's no good. That makes people think that it's boring. Make people think that it's dry. That we want to present people the beauty of our ancient faith in a way that fits in 2015 in Arlington, Virginia, wherever it is that you're from. And I have a dream. I have a dream. And I'm telling you this dream's gonna come true. That 10 years, actually not 10 years from now, 10 years from when we started, is what I said. That you're gonna walk down the street and people are gonna know what the Orthodox Church is the same way they know the Catholic Church. Now you say I'm Orthodox. What's Orthodox? Jewish? No. Muslim? No. It's like Greek Orthodox. That's what we all say, right? It's like Greek Orthodox. The festival, the food, like that's what we tell people. I'm telling you, one day you walk down here, Fairfax Drive, people are going to say, are you Orthodox? Are you from the Orthodox Church? I'm sorry, not from the Orthodox Church. Are you from those Orthodox churches? Those group of Orthodox churches that go and love the city? That go and preach the word? That go and transformed my neighbor's marriage and saved my neighbor's marriage that go and saved my, my, my brother's kids who are walking that direction? Are you part of that church? Because I want to be part of that church. And then someone Catholic going to walk by and say, Catholic, what's Catholic? We never heard of Catholic. Are you like Orthodox? <laughs> I'm telling you, when you invest in the church, this is what you invest in. You invest in something beyond yourself. And I'll give you another dream. Now, this is not a dream. This is a reality that when you enter the kingdom of God, I truly believe this, you're going to enter the kingdom of God one day. And you're going to walk in. I've told you all this before. It's going to be a party. The kingdom of heaven is a party. That's what the Bible talks about, a celebration. You're going to walk in there. And you know when you go into a party, you don't know anyone, so you kind of hang out in a corner, okay? You want to, like, you know, like fiddle around, like, you know. And you're going to walk in there and try to look unawkward. And someone's going to say, hey, you, you. Hey, I've been waiting for you. And big hug and big kiss in this group. going to jump on this party and say, I've been waiting for you. You say, you know what I mean? Like, did I forget your name? Like, who are, who are you? And you, he's going to say to you, you are part of the reason that I'm here. You're part of the reason that I'm here. Because if it wasn't for your investment in the church, the church wouldn't exist. Church wouldn't be what it is. And that church saved me and brought me here. Ask yourself, when you get that money in your wallet, what are you investing it in? I want to invest in that. I want to invest in eternity. I want to invest in, in, in marriages being saved. I want to invest in blind seeing God. I want to invest in lost finding their father. And if you believe that's what this church is doing, then you have a share in it. You may not be able to preach. You may not be able to come early and set up the chairs. You may have no idea what any of these wires or things do. You may not have, be able to act in the movie or sing the song. You may, not be able to do that, the, you may not be able to do any of those things. But if you invest and you put your money inside the church, you have a share and an inheritance 
with the rest of us. Giving disarms my materialism. It's an investment for eternity. And this one, you think what I, the next one I'm going to say, the last one, I should have said it second, because usually it's a progression from earth to heaven. But I wanted to keep this last one last for a reason, because this is the one that we don't believe. Giving 100% blesses my life right now. And I will go to my grave yelling and screaming that when someone says, I need the blessing of God, I will scream, you need to give. And someone says, I cannot afford to give. I would say, the way your life is messed up, buddy, you cannot afford not to give. With as much as you want God to do in your life, you cannot afford not to give. Because giving blesses your life today. And I'm not saying it based on my own idea. I'm saying it based on what the scripture teaches us from cover to cover. I'll give you a couple of verses here. Proverbs 11:25. King Solomon, smart guy, said the generous soul will be made rich. That's the opposite of what the world teaches us. The world teaches us the stingy will be made rich. The Bible says the generous will be made rich. And watch this. He who waters will also be watered himself. Do y'all know what that means? He who waters will be watered himself. I'm watering and I'm receiving water myself. This is a biblical way of not saying the exact same thing because we don't believe what I'm about to say, but it's kind of like, kind of what goes around comes around. But even when we don't believe that. But what it is saying is, you are generous with others, God is generous with you. You are stingy with others, God is stingy with you. This is the principle of life. If you are generous, let's not say money. Let's say criticism. Let's say you are very generous with your criticism. I guarantee you people will be very generous right back. You are generous with encouragement. People will be generous with you encouraging you. This is life principle. And he who is generous, financially, God honors them and blesses them. Now, with that said, don't think what I'm going to say, not always a dollar for dollar. It's not I invest a dollar and God gives me a dollar back because that's what we want to make it. But how about if I, sometimes God does. And sometimes it, it, you will be blessed financially, and, and I believe that. Okay, but I just, I don't want to, I don't want to water down the blessing of God to being more money. I don't want to water down to being a promotion. Like, here, God, I gave in the money. Okay, ready? Promotion, lottery now. That's ridiculous. I want to say, I give God money. He gives me peace in my marriage. That's a win. I give money. He gives me joy, which no one can take away from me. I give money. He gives the peace, which surpasses all understanding. It's not dollar. The cheapest thing God can do is give you a dollar. That's the cheapest thing he can do. But the blessing of God is so much greater than that. Another verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 6. says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Principle, the one who sows little will reap little. The one who sows much will reap much. You know, we think that being generous is the path to not being happy. That's what we think. We think that, let me say that in the backwards way. We think that if I have more, I'll be more happy. Well, do you know, what is the root word of the word miserable? Miserable comes from what word? Miser. Means a cheapskate. You know why? I read a very nice book the other day, and it was talking about how when we hold on to stuff, any stuff, we lose the ability to enjoy life. You know why? Because if I got, imagine this is my stuff, 
And by holding on to this stuff, let's say I can even do it with one hand. By holding on to this so tightly, I have lost the ability to do what? To enjoy life with this hand, to receive things with this hand. And if I hold on with the other hand, I've lost the ability to enjoy anything in life. But when the hands are free, then God gives and I enjoy and I let go. And then God gives and I enjoy and I let go. And then God gives and I enjoy. And when the hands are open, the hands are free, we can enjoy life. When the hands are tight, miser always leads to a miserable life. So giving will bless you in this life. Giving will bless you in the life after, and giving will take apart the materialism which infects so many of us. Now, last thing I want to say, practical note. Give me practical, because I told you in the beginning what they did practically, anything they got, they threw at the apostles' feet, and I told you don't do that. So what should we do? How should we, how should we reconcile the way they lived and how we live? What should we do practically? Well, I'll give you two very practical things, how God wants you to give, and they're very specific. Okay, after this verse. <laughs> well, let me do that thing, and then I'll come back to this verse. God wants me to give willingly and generously. And I'll show you what I mean by the two. Willingly and generously. And willingly corresponds to a concept or a principle which biblically is given from the start of the Bible of tithing and generously to a principle which is also seen in the Bible of charity. I should give willingly. I should give generously. What's the difference between the two? First thing, let's agree this, that what matters when I give is not necessarily the amount that I give, but the way in which I give. And that was this verse that I showed you before that I went to too early. That let each one gives, give as he, as he proposes in his heart, not grudgingly of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The one critical component is that, listen carefully to me, nobody gives based on me making you feel guilty. I already told you in the beginning, I don't want your money. I tell you, as, a, as, as, as the father of the church, I tell you what my wife would tell me and what I would tell her and what you would tell your spouse, which is if you're just giving me a gift because you think that, that it's going to make you a good husband or because you feel guilty, keep your stinking gift. I don't want nothing from you. If you love me, give me because you love me. And I will never say no if you give me a gift because you love me. But if you just say, here's flowers, I got to give it to you, be quiet, take it. God doesn't want your gift. I don't want your gift. Nobody wants your gift. Nobody wants that kind of gift. God loves a cheerful giver. What matters is the heart. The money is just a sign of the heart. So with that, like I said, we give willingly and we give generously. Let's start with the willingly, which is the tithe. There's a principle which is seen from the very beginning of scripture. It's called tithing. Tithing does not actually mean giving. Tithing means giving back. What's the difference? Giving implies here, I give you this. Giving back means it was yours to start with. And we talk about tithing means that we give 10% of our income back to God, not to God. To God would imply it's mine and I'm sharing with him and he should thank me. Truth is, the Bible says that 100% of everything that you have belongs to God. Everything in this world belongs to God. But God, out of his kindness and his goodness, gives you 90% to live on. The 10% that you give isn't really yours to begin with. And in case you say, where are you making this theology up from, Father Anthony? I'm not making it up. It's from the Bible. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. 
But you saying, what way have we robbed you? Like God is saying, y'all are stealing from me. And you say, I ain't stealing nothing from you, God. He says, yes, you have in tithes and in offerings. Therefore, sorry to say, but you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Look, I don't want to be cursed by no one. I don't, I don't especially don't want to be cursed by God, especially not just cursed, but cursed with a curse. Like, I don't know what that means, but it sounds really bad. <laughs> and that's what happens when we refuse to give God what belongs to him. Tithing is not giving. Tithing is giving God what rightly belongs to him. As a member of this church, now I'm speaking specifically to this church because I want to speak specifically to this church. Tithing is something that is expected of every member of the church. Nobody follows up with you. Nobody sends you a, a letter in the mail saying we checked and you're nine and a half. No one does that. No one has time for that. It has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with each and every, it has nothing to do with me, I should say, or the church, this entity. It has everything to do with you. And if you are not giving, you say, let me, put, let me do it this way. You who say, and this applies to whatever church you're from, you say, I'm a member of this church. This is my family. This is my house. But I really don't want to give. And I don't want to contribute. Then you're not a member of the house. You come to my house and have dinner. And that's great. And then you leave. That means you're a guest. Member of the house means that everyone brings their paychecks here. Like my wife doesn't get her paycheck and say, okay, I'm going to give him this. This is not how it works. All the money goes into the bank account. And then we say, we got to pay the electricity bill and we got to pay the mortgage and we got to pay for the kids to go to college. It's not, I'm not doing a gift. Sweetheart, I love you so much. I pay the electricity bill this month. You're welcome. <laughs> As a member of the household, it is my duty to pay the electricity bill. And that's where my money goes. It's not I'm doing anything extra as a member of the household. And we in this church, we take this seriously. That's why those who are members of this church, when we have like our family meetings, we don't talk about this stuff on Sundays. We have our family meetings. You'll hear us refer to monthly committed donations versus one-time giving. And if you hear we talk about that, we're talking about people who consistently give on a regular basis. This is how we make every decision in this church based on this amount. People who have committed saying, I give $100 a month, $200 a month, whatever it may be. And we talked about buying that building. It was based on this. It's never based on this because this, this to me, I don't know what this is. This is nice. Again, we encourage this. We love this, but we love this more. This says to me, I left a gift. This says to me, I'm part of the family. We want family members. Again, we're happy with gifts, okay? I got to say it because I know the finance they're going to kill me after this one, okay? We like the gifts, but more we like members of the family. You struggle with this 10% thing? Let me encourage you in two ways. Let me encourage you. Again, number one, let me encourage you. If you're visiting today, this does not apply to you. Everything we have here in the church is for you, free of charge. You go back there, get a book. No one take any money. We'll, if you'd like to give, happy. Saying you grab the cup of coffee, you do not pay for anything. You are a guest. I don't charge you when you come to my house. I don't charge you when you come to the church. No, there's no charging. But if you are a member of the household, then we encur I encourage you to take a step of faith. Start small. If you're new to this, start small. Because I know some people... Like, I never heard of this tithing thing before. And 10% seems like a lot. I'll tell you what, start small. Start 2%. Can you give 2%? And then get to 3%. 
and then get to 5%. Start small and build your way, because I promise you, you are going to see that with every step, I'm not saying this on my own word, you're going to see every step, God is blessing me, and I want more blessing, and I want more blessing from God in my house, in my marriage, in my career, and I'm telling you, start small and build your way up, but you got to start somewhere. That's the tithing. The second one we said is the charity, which is the generos- giving generously. And I'm going to give you this verse right here from 2 Corinthians 9, 11. It says, you will be enriched in every way, meaning God has blessed you. But why will God bless you? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We believe in the tithe, giving back to God. But you know what? Tithing, I hate to say this, Tithing is an Old Testament principle, not a New Testament principle. Tithing is the Old Testament. Tithing is the baseline. You know how in the Old Testament, God said, you shall not murder an eye for an eye? That's the baseline. In the New Testament, it was love. In the Old Testament, it was tithe. In the New Testament, it's generosity. And generosity means that I realize that nothing I have is my own. And therefore, I look for, this is a crazy verse. I look for God to give me more, and I know he's doing that so that I can give more. He's not giving me more so I can be more rich. He's giving me more so I can be more generous. And God is calling us not just to tithe to the church, but that's why we have things like the Hope Association, which is a charitable organization. And when you give to that, more power to you. That's a great thing. You should not say, should I give to the church? Or you should be generous in every occasion. That's why we help the homeless people. We say, well, I already gave my tithe. I don't help the homeless. No, we're generous people. We help one another when they need it. And like in the video in the beginning, not just our, ti- not just our money, but our time. We're generous people. That's what charity is all about. This verse says this. This verse says that God make, will make you rich so that you can be generous. And through your generosity, what will happen? Thanksgiving will abound to God. You know what that means? It means there's a group of people who are going to be praying for you and saying, God, please make that man rich. Please make him rich. Not make me rich. Make him rich. Because when God gives him, he blesses the whole community. And people will be praying for your richness. Is anybody out there saying, please, God, make you rich? If not, it may be when it falls short in generosity. You say to yourself, Father Anthony, that's crazy. Is what I said today crazy? What I said today is crazy. It's crazy when you compare it to what we normally live. But you know what? I told you in the beginning that the discrepancy between us and them, maybe it needs some, a, crazy, a crazy kind of a makeover in our mind. Because you know who else was a crazy giver? You know who else was the most crazy, crazy, crazy giver? Jesus was. And Jesus gave more than anybody else. And I didn't bring the verse up on the screen, but the Bible says that he who was rich became poor. That through his poverty, we who are poor might become rich. He gave everything so we could have everything. And if we're going to be his disciples, we need to look a little bit more like him in this area. That's why one of our core values here, one of our crazy core values, where we even say it, it's called being crazy generosity, irrational generosity. We believe we're crazy people. We genuinely believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. We seek opportunities to express our love to God by sacrificing our time and our money. We are crazy people. And I want people to look at you and say, that's an irrational person. Why? Because that person, every time they get more, they give more. That's a crazy person. The rest of us are working round the clock to get more, to get more, to get more. And this crazy, irrational, illogical person continues to give more. 
that person doesn't make sense. Then you know you're doing things the right way. What it means to be part of the body of Christ, to be a sacrificial giver, has nothing to do with amount, has everything to do with attitude. It's people who say, you know what? I trust God's promise about giving more than I trust what the world tells. Like the world says, keep to be rich. God says, give to be rich. Who will I trust? I believe God more than I believe the world. I believe it so much that when I get a paycheck, even though against every fiber of my being, everything says keep, 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 but God says give. You know what? I'm gonna give. That's attitude. That's heart. That's faith. That's love. That's what it's all about. And just to show you how God likes irrational givers, this picture right here, this picture I got, and it's a story about one time when Jesus sat in the church, in the temple, okay, but the, we say at the church these, this day, and he sat in the back by the money box. And the Bible says that he saw how people were putting money in that box. And Jesus said something crazy this day. Jesus saw a person come in, I'll modernize it, and drop $10,000 in the box. And then he saw another lady come in and drop two pennies in the box. And Jesus said a crazy statement, which is irrational. What did he say? He said, this lady has put in more than all the rest. Is that rational? Does that make sense? It's not about the amount. It's about the heart. And Jesus saw this lady, watch this. Jesus saw this lady be irrational in her generosity. And then Jesus himself became irrational in his praise for her and his honor for her. Because she was irrational how she gave, he became irrational in how he gave and honored her. And I want God to do the same for me. Last verse. I'll leave you all with this verse. Let's say you, you'd say you forget everything that I just said. You ignored me. You hate my guts. You want to throw something at me. That's fine. I'll give you one last verse. And if you can ignore this verse, you are stronger, man. Like you are more cold-hearted than I don't even know how to express. You can ignore this. Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Try me now in this. God doesn't say try me in fasting. He doesn't say try me in prayer. He doesn't say try me in going to church. But when it comes to money, he knows how cynical we are. He knows how materialism has infected us. He knows how hard it's going to be for us to in, 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 in increase our generosity and our giving. So he says, look, you don't believe Father Anthony? He's a fool. Don't listen to him. But try me now in this. That I will not open for you the storehouses of blessing. That there will not be enough for you to receive it. I dare you. Actually, I don't dare you. God dares you. God double dog dares you. And he says, try me now in this. If I don't bless your life. I never met a person who I've said this to and they've come back to me and said, Father Anthony, I will say it's three months. I never met a person come back to me after three months and say, Father Anthony, I did exactly what you said for three months. I was tithing, I was generous and God did not bless my life. I've said that phrase many times. I've never met one person who has ever come to me and said, I have given generously and willingly for three months and God has not blessed my life. I throw the same double dog dare out to you and come let me know. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen.